it's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by Flint composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Program. Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, HealthCare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll get right through now, it. the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, to hug her and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Ranger Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people, and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner, and uh, we've got an interesting three-hour tour in store for you today, coming up in the third half of our three-hour tour. We're going to talk to the author of uh, a new book called How to Talk When Kids Won't Listen. Joanna Faber joins me during the third hour in the middle the second hour of our three-hour tour, Dr. Lenny Peters, author of Barefoot to Benefactor. But we begin with a uh, special needs mom, author, and illustrator of a children's book series for diverse learners and those on the spectrum. And you'll find out what that means in just a moment as uh, I welcome to the show uh, author Sivan Hong. Savan, welcome Hi, to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Hey, Thank you for having me. <laughs> it's it's uh, it's it's great to meet you and to have you on the show. And um, I I was going to mention that uh, Savan is uh, is the author and illustrator of the children's book series, the Super Fun Day books, including Benny J and the Horrible Halloween, George J and the Miserable Monday, and now the third book in the series, Emily D and the frightful first day um what how did you get started writing these books um 
I got started writing these books because as a special needs mom, I realized that when my kids were really little, before we could talk to them about their diagnosis and, and, and really say, this is what you have, there weren't a lot of books out there that helped them understand what they were going through. Um, and children's books are such an incredible tool to be able to provide a mirror for a child and say, um, this is what your life is like and it's okay and you're normal because you see it in the book. And so I set out to fix that problem. Well, it's, it's uh, Sivan, it's one thing to decide, you know, there's, there's a need for this and, and I have a message and to come up with that message. But you illustrate the books as well. Were you already an illustrator? I was not. I consider myself um, an avid doodler, um, which is ah. probably to my detriment in school. But, um, <laughs> but, but my books are very um, deliberate in their illustrations and in their simplicity. So I try to create a book that kids um, with autism or ADHD would look at and be able to follow along without getting distracted by all of the beautiful illustrations that you usually see in children's books. So um, one of my sons with ADHD would have a hard time following along with the story because he would suddenly see an illustration of something, you know, a children's room, and he would see a red book on the bookshelf and he would stop me and say, Mommy, what do you think that book is? Well, that kind of lost the focus of the story. So I made the illustrations very deliberately simple, and I made the font in the book the kind of font where the letters are clear so that kids with dyslexia would have an easier time following along. So every part of the book is very deliberate to be accessible to the most amount of kids that are out there. And is this primarily directed at the at, at, at children on the spectrum and their families or uh, are you looking at, at other disabilities as well that's a great question so my books really look at kids uh, that fall under the umbrella of neurodiversity and neurodiversity is this idea that all of our brains are wired a little bit differently. And people who are neurodiverse, their brains are wired especially differently. It doesn't mean they're any better or any worse. They're just different. And there are a variety of different diagnoses that fall into that category, autism being one of them, ADHD, dyslexia, bipolarity, Tourette's syndrome. There's a whole gamut of, of um, diagnoses that fall under neurodiversity, and my books really target those groups of kids in terms of being a mirror for them about their experience. But in children's books, there's this idea that books can also be windows into the world of somebody else's life. And so they're not just for kids who are neurodiverse, but they're for all kids. They help open a conversation with with typical kids to say, this is why somebody in your class may be wearing headphones, or why they're chewing gum, or why they get a squishy seat, or get to play with fidget toys. It becomes a teaching tool that talks to kids about differences in a very positive way. And, and as the mother of um, 
a child with special needs. Um, can, can you tell me a little bit about your specific circumstance? Absolutely. So when I have, I have two neurodiverse kids. Um, my eldest son was um, diagnosed on the autism spectrum when he was two. Um, I probably would have known if I, if he hadn't been my first, I probably would have known that there was something different about him when he was about three months old. And I went through this process of taking him to, um, to so many different people to try to figure out what was going on, why he was different, what was happening. And I didn't stop until somebody actually was able to give me the right diagnosis for him. And I got him a lot of services when he was young. The best thing for any of these um, neurodiverse challenges that kids have is to get early intervention because the, um, the therapists and the occupational therapists and the speech therapists and all of these people who are out there can make unbelievable impacts on our kids when they are young. And so that's what my son got engrossed in. I quit my job in order to be able to do that, and I feel very fortunate to have been in a position to be able to focus so much on my intention on his development. Um, and now he is going into fourth grade. He, he would have no idea that he had been diagnosed with autism as a child. Um, I, of course, know and can see his, we kind of look at them as his quirky behaviors, but most of his peers don't know, and I attribute that um, to all of the early intervention we were able to give him. My other son is diagnosed with ADHD, um, as am I, and that was a different process where the school was a real partner for us to be able to identify um, those challenges, and, and there's a, there's a book out there that talks about the positive nature of ADHD and it describes it as having a race car brain where the kid can go so fast but because he's going so fast he crashes into the wall and doesn't know how to take the turn and so I use that analogy with my son to describe how he needs to learn to slow down to take the turns and then he can win the race and that has been kind of our mindset around, um, around ADHD. ADHD is, is being diagnosed more frequently in recent years. And I've, I've always wondered if in some of those cases it wasn't just kids being kids. Yeah, I think it's hard to tell. I think all of these um, things have been diagnosed more recently. I, the numbers right now are that on average, 15% of kids in, um, in elementary school are special needs or have an IEP, which is an independent education plan. 15% is a lot. You know, when I was a kid, I, I, I wasn't diagnosed with ADHD until I was an adult, but when I was a kid, it was just, these were just the kids, right? And yeah. that kid misbehaved and that kid couldn't sit still. But I think the benefit of giving these diagnoses is that you can create accommodations for kids to succeed, where when we were kids, that was just the troublemaker. And 
and they didn't get the support that they needed, and now they do, and then they can thrive in school. And I'm less concerned about whether or not a child gets a diagnosis, right? Like, I, I don't really, I never cared whether or not my son was labeled autistic or something else. I just wanted him to get the support he needed in order to be successful. Well, of course. Do, do, the, do your two sons have si other siblings? No, uh, it's just the two of them. <laughs> I have my hands full. With I, I was going to say, I, I'm not suggesting that that's not enough, <laughs> Savan. I, I'm just curious about how other children react to them. And, and I really want to talk some more about this idea of early diagnosis and, and I don't know if you'd call it intervention, but, um, but early attention. Let's put it that way, um, because I, I wonder if that doesn't um, eliminate some awkward behaviors that might become stayed if not addressed immediately. I think that early intervention is critical, and, I, and look, it's a very hard thing to do. Um, when my son was diagnosed with autism, my gut response, even though I knew in my heart of hearts that that was an accurate diagnosis of him, um, I still wanted to stick my head in the sand, right? And as a parent, my husband and I, we went through this mourning phase of mourning the life we thought he would have, which is, you know, in hindsight is absolutely ridiculous because you don't know the life that any of your kids are going to have. But but I think but, I, I think a lot of parents with kids, um, especially those with autism, have a feeling like somehow their life has been determined by the autism. Absolutely, and and it's I see parents do one of two things: they'll deny it, right? They'll 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 say, "I don't want to deal with this right now. The kid is young." You know, like, I just don't want to approach it at all. And and then those kids don't get the early intervention. And then there's the other subset of parents who say, I'm going to throw everything I have at this now. Because when they are so young, their brains are still malleable. There are things you can change. Now, you can't change everything. And, and autism, as you talked about earlier, is a spectrum right? Like my son's autism does not look like somebody else's autism. There are, it's kind of no two are the same, but the earlier you can start um, providing supports for them, the easier it becomes for these supports to be effective. Um, for my son, it was a lot of pragmatic speech work, which meant that, you know, he struggled with how to have a back and forth conversation with people. Savan, I have to interrupt here, and I apologize, but I have to go to break. Can you stick around for a few minutes? Because I want to talk about this some more. We're going to take a short break and uh, let our broadcast partner squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. We'll be right back. Hello out there, everybody. It's me, Tigger. T-I-double-G-R. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs>
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Biden from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Dr. Comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annan. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You know, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all. It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses. And where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County. Where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at Michigan.org.
This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue uh, my conversation with the uh, uh, author and illustrator of the children's book series, the Super Fun Day Books, which include Benny J and the Horrible Halloween, George J and the Miserable Monday, and now the third book in the series, Emily D and the Frightful First Day. Her name is Savan Hong, and she joins me by phone. Savan, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around, and sorry to make you sit through all that. Oh, no, it was just <laughs> fine. Um, you mentioned a, a, a word in, in the last segment that has become much much more widely used in, in the last, I would say, even as short a time as five years, neurodiversity. What do you mean by that? What does that encompass? Well, neurodiversity is this concept that brains are wired differently. There's a diversity in the way our brains work. Um, and some people, neurotypical people, have their brains wired one way, and people whose brains fall into the neurodiversity bucket have their brains wired differently. And, and within that bucket um, includes people with autism and um, ADHD, dyslexia, bipolarity, Tourette syndrome, and there's kind of a, a gamut of other diagnoses that fit into that bucket. But the thing that's important about the neurodiversity concept is not, it is very deliberately a, a positive notion. It is not that, it, the idea is not that these are disabilities, so to speak. They are just differences. And having something be different is a lot more positive than having it be a disability. Right, and and we were also talking about the spectrum, which is is usually at at first hearing associated with autism. In fact, at one time it was called the autism spectrum, but it's really become a lot more encompassing than that, and and thus is now just the spectrum to refer to basically neurodiversity. Right. Absolutely, and the reason why it's the spectrum is because all of these different brain differences manifest themselves in different ways in people. So um, no two people who have been diagnosed with autism have the same kind of autism. And the same is true with ADHD. Um, and even something like dyslexia, it looks different in everybody. And so that is why this notion of a spectrum seems to be more fitting um, because it, it, it recognizes that these things are not all the same. And you also said that 15% that of school children are considered special needs or at least have some kind of uh, independent educational program. Um, is, and, and this idea that, that there are lots of differences that are encompassed in the in the spectrum um is there any such thing at, like with writing your books uh, can can one size fit all i don't think it can because when you look at 
Let's use autism as an example. There are individuals with autism that as adults are nonverbal. And then there are individuals with autism um, who are very, very successful in their own right. You know, Anthony Hopkins has come out to say that he had been diagnosed with autism. And um, Courtney Love has said that she was diagnosed with autism. And recently, Elon Musk went on Saturday Night Live and said that he's diagnosed with autism. But autism can also look like that character in the movie Rain Man, right? Like, there is no way that we can say that one size fits all. And in my books, I clearly cannot depict every single kind of person um, with autism. And I'm not necessarily trying to define it that way. What I do is I use characters that demonstrate people or children getting the interventions to help them through some of those challenges. And so I don't deliberately say, you know, Emily D has ADHD or Emily D was diagnosed with autism. I will show this character um, really benefiting from the use of fidget toys in class and liking the organization of a schedule, which is something that people with ADHD or autistic individuals benefit from. Um, in my first book, Benny J and the Horrible Halloween, he does not like loud noises and needs to wear headphones in class. This is um, something that kids with sensory challenges have to do. Um, and, and that may happen if your child has been diagnosed with autism or it may not. And my books are targeted for young kids, so kind of preschool to second grade. And, and, and I don't need to give them a diagnosis at that point. I'm really just trying to normalize this idea that wearing headphones in class is okay, that it's not weird, that it's completely normal, and so that, that when kids do wear headphones, they don't feel embarrassed about who they are. Savan, you uh, not only are the author of these books, but also the illustrator, and you said in the uh, earlier segment that you consider yourself more of a doodler. But what I wanted to ask you is which which comes first, the story or the doodles, when you're writing a book like this? So all of my stories are actual true stories that have happened to my children. Ah. Um, and so that's kind of what gives them the authenticity and the relatability. So the story comes first. Um, and in many cases, they're based on something in special ed called a social story. And a social story is a set of steps that a child will take to do something that they are scared about. The first day of school being one of them, but it could be, you know, making a friend at recess or going to the dentist or a variety of different things that make um, the child nervous. You create this social story to give them the steps to take so that they can get through the thing that makes them nervous and be successful. All of my books are based on social stories that I have written for my kids and have then created the narration around them. So the story comes first and then the doodles. Well, the newest book, which is the uh, the third book in the Super Fun Day books series, Emily D. and the Frightful First Day, is talking about the first day of school. 
which is frightful for all kids. How is it more so for kids with special needs? I don't think it's more so with kids with special needs. Um, I think the first day of school is scary for everyone, and this story, the reasons why she's so scared about the first day of school isn't a special needs list of reasons. Um, She's afraid that she may not like her new teacher or that the classroom is new or that she won't know the schedule or her friends from last year aren't going to be her friends from this year and what if she doesn't make new friends. These are all concerns that all kids have. The things in the story that make it more relatable to somebody with special needs is the fact that she wears a fidget bracelet and that she gets to go to her classroom early, which is a huge um, benefit for for kids with um, school anxiety and um, and allows them to look around and get comfortable and meet their teacher before the pressures of the social part of school when all the other kids show up are there. And, um, and I highly recommend it to any special needs parent to be able to get your child in the classroom before all the other kids show up. But even in the classroom, she sees that she has a box of fidget toys and the other kids don't necessarily have that. So there are these little things about the story that make it specific for a special needs experience. But the heart of the story, overcoming the fears of the first day of school, are applicable to every kid. And frankly, I think the people that are most scared of the first day of school are the parents because we are the ones who walk away crying after the first day of school when we drop off our kids and our kids turn out to be just fine. Savan, this um, this new book, Emily D. and the Frightful First Day, is the third in the Super Fun Day books series. Um, is this a trilogy, or are there more books to come in the Super Fun Day books? There are more books to come. This is the third book that's focusing on things that happen in school. So the first one. Benny J and the Horrible Halloween is the story of a kid who's nervous about the Halloween parade, um, which as a parent really surprised me because in my mind, Halloween is the greatest kid's holiday shy of Christmas. Yeah, it's all just fun um, and dress up. It's all just fun, but my eldest son refused to go to the Halloween parade when he was in kindergarten. I Mm. could not get him to school that day because he was so terrified and the the following year, I sat down with him and his, his teachers, and we figured out what was driving all of those fears and made a plan for him to be able to overcome those fears. And that's the story of Benny J and the Horrible Halloween. And it is, like I said, it's a true story, and he was able to overcome those fears, and Halloween is now his favorite holiday. But and then that the, one the, still... Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Um, that one is a school-based story, and then George J. and the Miserable Monday is about a kid like many of us who hate Mondays. Um, I was going to say, is, isn't that kind of proof that Mondays are pretty much miserable for everybody? For everybody. <laughs> <laughs> but this one is a, particularly about kids who get nervous about change, um, and he worries, George J. worries that when he gets to school on Monday, everything will be different. And especially having the year we had last year and potentially the year we're about to have, 
in terms of all of the changes that happen in school and sometimes we're remote learning and sometimes we're in and the school day doesn't look the same. This idea that um, that things are going to be okay when you get to school I think is a really important message. So the first three books are all school related and the one I'm working on now is not school related. It's about going to the dentist. Oh, um, yikes. And Yes, for all of us, too, um, adults and kids alike. But if you have sensory issues or ADHD, going to the dentist where you have to sit still in a chair and there's this big light shining on you and the drilling noises and it's loud, um, this can be a very overwhelming experience for kids. And so this book will focus on how you can get through it in a in a positive way and give parents the tools to talk to their child about um, going to the dentist. I had a family dentist. Um, he's passed away now, but when my oldest daughter was uh, young, the first time that she went to get a filling and knew that her tooth was going to be drilled, the dentist took the drill and carved her initials in her fingernail. And she thought that was so cool, she was completely distracted and open to the idea of having her tooth drilled. What a brilliant dentist. What? I have never heard of such a thing. I hadn't either. It's the only time I've ever seen it done. And I thought, how clever was that? You know, um, and, and that's the kind of outside-the-box thinking that you really need to use when you're dealing with with special needs kids in these situations that that can be traumatic for anyone but especially exactly. for them exactly and and um and again like all of my books it's still very relatable um to neurotypical kids i don't know of any child who likes to go to the dentist. I don't know of any adult who likes to go to the dentist. Um, and so while my books do lean towards addressing issues around special needs kids, um, they really are relatable for anybody. What, something you mentioned, and I hadn't thought about this until just now when you talked about remote learning and, and schedule changing and how back and forth it's been with schools and hybrid learning, um, homeschooling, virtual learning, all of these things that have found their way into our everyday lives because of COVID-19. Um, what was it what was it like trying to make the adjustments that everybody else was making during the pandemic? It's so fascinating because, as we talked about earlier, these things are a spectrum, and no kid is the same. And my older son, um, my autistic son, loved it because he could sit on his computer and he didn't have to interact with any of the kids in any real way. You know, he could interact with them over Zoom, and it didn't feel so overwhelming, and he could focus on all of the academic stuff, which he really loves. And then my younger son um, could not sit still in front of that computer for anything. I mean, that boy needed to go to the restroom nine times in the first 10 minutes of class. 
and, and it was a very challenging experience. If you ask him today, he will say that distance learning was the worst thing I could have ever done to him um, over everything else. And so I really do think um, it depends on the kids. Some kids really loved it, um, and some kids really struggled. And it's across the board. I know parents with autistic children who found it very challenging and parents with autistic children who, like mine, loved it. But then, you know, now we're in a, a back-to-school time, and it's... It's questionable whether things will go back to normal or not because of the rise of these COVID-19 variants and uh, a, a potential fourth, I guess we'd call it, surge of COVID-19, which may end up shutting schools down again if it, if it gets up there high enough. How do you... How do you work with special needs kids to adjust um, when routine and schedule is so important? The advice I got from the special ed teachers who are obviously the experts in our school was to keep their schedule the same, right? There's so many differences in being at home versus being in school, but there is a huge comfort in having a schedule. They know what to expect. They know the routine. It's something that they have done already. And so I would literally print out their daily schedule and hang it up for them on the refrigerator and say, okay, at this time we're going to have recess, right? And this time we're doing math. And, and we would go through the school day as if it was a real school day to keep that consistency. Because everything else changed, but I knew at least I could hold on to the consistency of their schedule. How long does it take to acclimate to a changed schedule? I, I mean, now you have kids that aren't being driven to school or riding the bus or in the carpool. And, and um, how, I guess it's just simply how long does it take to... Um, acclimate to a new schedule and not miss the elements that are in fact missing? Look, I think it depends on the kid and what the kid... It always comes down to that, doesn't it, Savant? Right. It, like, you know, it's so different between my two sons um, and how they react to change and the things that they miss most about school when they're not in the building. Um, and and the kinds of thing you know, I have one son who's much more of an introvert, and I have another son who's much more of an extrovert, and and just as the differences in people and personalities really drive how how long it takes for them to be able to be comfortable with the change. And unfortunately, when they quarantine and they're out for ten days, it's like they get used to the change, and then they go right back into school and they have to acclimate again. Um, to, to the school schedule. I've talked to teachers who say coming back from winter break is always that week is one of the hardest weeks of school because the assumption is that the kids can just jump right back into the schedule that they have, but they're not used to it anymore, and it takes time to, to kind of readjust for all those kids. Well, and, and recently there's been a lot of attention uh, placed on um, 
what they call summer brain drain mm -hmm. and and trying to get kids back in the in the in the groove of of learning and and get caught up to where they left off uh sometimes three months ago um we're getting close to the end of time and there's a question i've been dying to ask you that there are three books so far in the um uh super fun day books series and you're working on a fourth are you working from a list of things that you intend to do books about or when you get done with a book when does it occur to you what the next experience that you want to write about might be i have a list I thought um, you might. <laughs> these are true stories, and they're all based on social stories that um, that are already there. Um, I have a list. My question is, when do they come out, um, and and how do I make them the most relatable and the most relevant? And I don't know who the characters are. So, you know, even though all these stories happen to my children, I don't have a daughter. Emily D. and the Fearful First Day. Um, I deliberately made her a girl because in our in in our culture we tend to think about um, people who have neurodiversity as being white boys. Yeah, that's, um, that's true. That's what we see in the media. Um, and when you think about someone like Simone Biles who gets up and she says, "No, I have ADHD and I take Ritalin and this has helped me," I thought it was very important to make um, Emily D a black girl to be able to show that there really is um, racial and cultural diversity in the bucket of neurodiversity as well. Well, Savan, it, this has been fascinating, and I, I, I just think this is uh, brilliant, this um, series, the Super Fun Day books, and, and the new book, of course, is Emily D. and the Frightful First Day. Um, it's, we're just about out of time, and I want to thank you for spending this time and sharing your experiences and a little bit about the books. Um, but I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and your work, past, present, and future. Um, Savan, do you have a website? I do. It's Savan, S-I-V-A-N, Hong, H-O-N-G dot com. It helps to be the only Savan Hong um, in the world. So <laughs> um, that's my website. And um, my books are available on Amazon and Barnes and & Nobles and a bunch of smaller booksellers as well as on my website. And I, the other thing I just wanted to say is all of my books are also available as audiobooks because I believe in making books as accessible as possible and not every child can can access a book written in hard copy um, so they're all there also as audiobooks well Savan thank you so much for spending this time with me and keep up the good work thank you so much for having me this has been a lot of fun take care that was uh, Savan Hong she is the author of the Super Fun Day books uh, which is a uh, series uh, that started with um, Benny J and the Horrible Halloween, George J and the Miserable Monday, and now the third book in the series is out, Emily D and the Frightful First Day. 
And we're going to take a short break, but we got lots more of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead. So don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. We will be right back. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Hawaiians, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner program. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine, and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can, keep wearing masks correctly, and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19, and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. Start your weekend early with the Tom Sumner Program every Friday live at 11. We turn the spotlight on the world of arts and entertainment featuring artists from music, TV, and the movies. Catch everything from the rich local talent pool in and around Flint and Genesee County to up-and-coming stars of stage and screen, plus legends from New York and Hollywood. Hi, this is Greg Nagy. Hey, this is Hopper. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions. Hi, this is Alexander Zonjic. Hi, this is Mark Farner. This is Maurice Davis. Hi, this is... This is Rochelle Ray. Hi there, folks. This is Sweet Willie T. Hey, this is Steve from the Nashville office. I'm Gwen Pennyman Hemphill. Start your weekend right. Go to 11 Fridays on the Tom Sumner Program. Those hands, no matter whose they are, can spread the germs of many common diseases. That's why I want you to realize how important it is to keep hands clean, to wash them regularly and always before meals with Life Boy, which not only removes dirt, but helps to remove germs. Teach the children this habit. Form it yourself. Always use Life Boy for hands and face as well as the bath. America, your children have an amazing superpower. That's right. They can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing! Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. 
We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. The Tom Summer Program.com Hey, this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. The big thing I remember the most about uh, growing up as a child was kindergarten. Now, to me, the only thing, uh, uh, kindergarten, the only good thing about it is that it, it teaches you how to say goodbye to your parents without crying. That's all. After that, forget it. They got nothing else for you to do. I remember standing in that schoolyard with 27 snowsuits on and uh, my idiot mittens, you know. The idiot mittens are the ones with the string that go up your arm and around your neck. And the only cool thing about it is if you talk in the left hand, you can listen in the right. Hello? How'd you been? Yes, all right, fine. Find another kid with idiot mittens on, you run up, you pull his left mitten and he smacks himself in the face with the right. <laughs> yeah, I used to love to do that, boy. And we all stood in that line crying. Oh, where are we going? We're going to die. You better get us killed there. And the next day I was very cool. Goodbye, mother. Take care of yourself, won't you, dear? I should be home, oh, 12.30, quarter to one, somewhere around there. Might be late. I may have a little milk with the boys, you know what I mean? Tell dad I'll see him around dinner time. Now, once they get you inside, they're lost. They got nothing for you to do because you're only five and you're too dumb to care about anything else. They try, though, you know. One and one is two. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Right, yeah, cool, man. One and one is two. Yeah, right. What's a two? You don't care, man. So then, she takes... So then... Hey, they try these other things, basic things. No, no chairs in kindergarten. Everything's done on the floor. You sit on the floor, stand on the floor, you go home on the floor. Everything's in a circle on the floor so you can look at each other. Little ugly kids with pointed heads. <laughs> and you beat time to Mozart. Ta dun da dun pum, ta dun da dun pum. How long do we have to keep this up? I don't know. Go another 10 minutes, we'll beat her to death with these sticks, all right? <laughs> then she says, okay, children, it's time for a snack. Right! Now you're talking! Yes, snack! I want a Hershey bar! Me too! Give me a baby room! Right! No such luck. She brought out a box and gave us each an old, dried up, brown, nasty tasting, gag you, stick in the throat, graham cracker. <laughs> and you gotta pray for something to wash it down. Please, we're gonna die if you don't give us something soon. We got the hiccups and everything. Please! She said, certainly. Went over, got a case of milk that's been sitting on the radiator for about 80 years. Nothing in the world better for a bunch of five-year-old kids than good old lukewarm curdly milk. <laughs> yes, sir. We loved it. And the straws in kindergarten are the worst things in the world. Worst straws I've ever seen. They're good for one suck. You <laughs> and that's it. Flat as a piece of paper. You're sitting up there. <laughs> then to top it off, she says, okay, it's time for a nap. Yeah, there's nobody in the world anymore wide awake at 11 o'clock in the morning and a bunch of five-year-old kids. 23 kids on 23 cots sleeping wide awake. <laughs> Only one sleeping is the teacher. She's gone. Thank God for this break, boy. I'm telling you what. I graduated from that into the first grade. 
I always wanted to get into the first grade because you have your own desk in the first grade and that's just a part of being cool, man. Yeah, because I remember there was one guy that was just as old as the rest of us and his name was Richard, man. Richard was cool because he had his own desk. They skipped Richard because he could tie his own tie, you know. Yeah. They used to bring him up, bring him up before the assembly progress, and the president of the school say, "I will right, now have Richard tie his tie for you." Yeah, yes, yeah, go, Rich. Yeah. yeah, Rich was cool, man. We used to pass by the room, man, and peep in the first grade and see them all in there sitting at their desk. You can see Rich. We try to make Rich laugh. We make faces at him. Hey, Rich. <laughs> Rich scared to laugh because he get a beating, you know. Now I got my own desk. Ta-dum! I love this desk. Of course, they all look alike, but I gotta find out how to find my own. Of course, I don't want anybody to know that I'm not cool finding my desk. And I sit down on my desk, look around. I know this is my desk, because I sit in front of Crying Charlie. <laughs> crying Charlie's got the coolest cry in the world, man. You can't hardly hear him or nothing. He just opens up his mouth <laughs> and tears roll down his face and everything, man. I know this is it, because I sit in front of him. So every time I come in to the room, I just look for Crying Charlie, and I sit right in front of him. Of course, if Crying Charlie's absent, I don't know where I'm gonna sit. You know? <laughs> Crying Charlie's absent, I go to his house and sit in front of him. You know? Yeah, gotta fold my hands on top of the desk so the teacher will know what I'm doing. Got some initials on the top of the desk here. Somebody carved them all the way through to the floor. So when you write on your paper, you rip it. <laughs> Got an inkwell. Yeah, boy, they still don't trust us though. No ink in it. Afraid we'll drink it. And I would too, man. Ink is cool to drink, boy. Hey, drink ink about 325, go home with a blue tongue. <laughs> Used to make my mother faint. Ma, yeah, look. <laughs> my mother was cool, man. She would faint for anything, boy. I used to get hit in the head with a rock, cover up the blood, wait till I get right up on her. Ma, look. Wow. Way to go, Ma. Cool, yeah. She got me back one day, though. I was playing with my navel. You know, oh, navel, navel. My mother said, all right, keep playing with your navel. Pretty soon you're gonna break it wide open. The air is gonna come right out of your body. You'll fly around the room backwards for 30 seconds land. You'll be flat as a piece of paper. Nothing but your little eyes bugging out. Keep it up. I used to carry band-aids with me in case I'd have an accident. Gonna learn to uh, write in the first grade now. They give you this paper, grade triple Z. Grade triple Z paper with wood still in it. Big hunks of wood still floating around in it. You gotta write around the hunks of wood. And the lines are about eight feet apart. They don't want you to miss getting in between them lines, man. Don't want you to start crying. They give you these pencils as big as a horse's leg. And you rest them on your shoulder as you write. A, B, may I have another piece of paper, please? I will, I I learned the correct procedure for going to the bathroom in the first grade. You just don't raise your hand and, you know, say, may I be excused? You have to let one finger go up. If you want to do one thing, you want to do anything else, you have to let it see two fingers. In case of a tie, two wins out over one. For the longest time, I told the truth if I had to go, the old one. 
And then one day it hit me. I was in the bathroom playing the soap dish game. Seven nothing, favor me. And it hit me, now what's she gotta know what I'm in here doing for? It's none of her business whether I'm wanting it or doing it. That's why they put doors on the bathroom so nobody will know if you're wanting it or doing it in here. And it's not bad enough that the teacher knows I'm wanting it, the whole class knows I'm wanting it. You go back in the classroom, people say, how was it, <laughs> So I just started lying after that. You know, hey, if I had to one one, <laughs> they think I'm wanting it. Yeah. Then I felt guilty and I'd go back and tell the truth. You know that one? Yes, it was really a two. I just... She wrote it down in her book, Bill Cosby did two twos and three ones today. I got an A in bathroom going. This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program.
you pilots get off of my lawn. We're trying to do a radio show down here. It's a Tom Sumner program, don't you know? Go on. Go on, get out of here.